You're listening to Lutheranism 101 Worship. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. Today we are trying to conquer something that's way too big to actually do, but we're going to give it a shot. And uh, so think of all of this as an introduction. And then as we go in our lives, uh, just know we can push into each part of the divine service uh, a lot deeper. Mm-hmm. But we're just going to touch the parts of the service. Um, we're going through chapter six, if you're following along yeah, with in our the book. book. But uh, let's begin, Matt. How, what, first of all, what is the deal? What are we actually trying to accomplish with all these parts of worship? So in the divine service, uh, with all uh, the different parts and settings, what we're doing here is we're making our assumptions about our faith and about our God explicit. Yeah. There's no guesswork. There's no, uh, what are we doing here? If you go through all of the different parts of the divine service from beginning to end, there's no question on who's our God, who are we serving, how are we approaching him, how, do, how are we even able to approach him. It's all made very clear and explicit for us through the service. Yeah, I like that. I mean, really, it is within the divine service. The assumptions are being made explicit. And what those assumptions are and what it's actually doing is seeing the gospel proclamation of Christ throughout every part of the service. Mm-hmm. And I know for you and I, we grew up outside of a liturgical context, and we've realized that a lot of it was dependent on how you interpreted, how you felt, yes, what you actually grabbed onto and what didn't. And so it moves, when we say assumptions made explicit, it's explicitly about Christ. It's not dependent on the, the pastor had a good day. I mean, I know for us, we've been in the non-denominational circles, mm-hmm. and there are many Sundays where I would feel like, did I, did I do good? Did I, say, did I say it right? And so one of the beauties for us is going, as we use the Word of God through these historic ways, uh, this historic liturgy or divine service, we walk away going, we absolutely gave the gifts of God today. Right. And, and it was explicit in everything we did and everything we said. Yes, and so it doesn't matter how we feel about it. Right. It, what matters is what God has spoken over us and has done to us. And I like that before we get into it. I like that it's not feelings driven. A lot of times we can come into worship and we're not feeling it. Mm-hmm. But we say the absolution, the confession, we hear the absolution, we say the creeds, we hear the word of God, and throughout uh, the service, uh, you know, feelings might never come, but you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, I do believe this. I am saying amen here. I am saying the Lord's prayer. I am receiving the Lord's supper. And you might never have feelings, but that's okay. These are truths. And you walk away going, I've received the gifts of God. Mm-hmm. And it's not up to your feelings. It's not up to how you connected to it or what you're going to do. You received it as a gift, which is the whole point of the divine service. Yes. It's God's gifts to us. So let's get in to the path on the ground and quickly touch the parts of divine service. So we open up with the invocation. And invocation just means to call upon. We're calling upon our God. And we're specifically naming our God as the triune God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just being very clear and explicit about who, who is the God that we're gathering around? Who's calling us? Who are we calling upon? Right. 
it's the triune God revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, so where God's name is spoken, mm-hmm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we can be confident that He is in our midst with all His gifts. And if you can remember in the Old Testament, God promised to bless His people wherever He caused His name to dwell. So really the invocation reminds us that through Christ's name, we have access to the Father's throne by the Spirit. So uh, traditionally, people would walk in and do it privately in the name of the Father, mm-hmm. Son, and Holy Spirit. You mark yourself, you say it, but we say it together at the invocation. You know, we do a little bit of announcements, we sing a song, and then we officially start the service with, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone responds with their, I believe it. Yeah. Amen. And, and again, it's just, so there's no doubt about who we're gathering around. Uh, I don't, we've probably said this before in previous episodes, but I just want to say it again because we've had people say to us, can you just not talk about Jesus so much? It was the old days, yeah. Yeah, and not recently, but in, in the old days, we've had that brought up and it's a, a hard no. We well, are most definitely going to talk about Jesus because if without him, we cannot do this. Well, you're exposing our journey, which in those moments, it's like, why... It's shocking to us, right? Mm-hmm. We love Jesus. We didn't know the liturgy. We didn't know about this stuff, but we certainly love Jesus and his word. Mm-hmm. And so we were going, why would that even occur to someone who's been here for a while? And that's why we're coming to this. Oh, we, we were not explicit. explicit in our actions. We weren't explicit in our belief about Jesus Christ is here and the way we dressed and the way we handled reverently like the Lord's Supper. Oh, and so that's why we're so into it because we want to be explicit. And so even starting with the, the uh, invocation of Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, it's a no-doubter. He's here. His name is here. And then we move right into confession and absolution. Yes, and so I love this from the book. It calls the church a forgiveness house, yeah. a, a house of forgiveness. The main purpose of the church is to announce the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to sinners. That is what we're doing that's why you show up. It's not so you can have a, a good word that you've heard and makes you feel good about well, your day or given a task to do or like how to make your life better. It's you are being forgiven. Right. And so I think we look at all, of course, there's benefits to gathering around the word of God. So you hear good words. You, you know, God does all sorts of things. There's friends that come yes. of it. But the primary thing is it's a forgiveness house. And uh, we are driven to immediately... You know, in coming into the presence of God, like Moses takes off his sandals, right, before he goes to the the burning bush. But we are driven to confession by God's word because God's word uncovers our sins and promises God's forgiveness. So we come in in the posture of, Lord, I, I know I haven't been everything I'm supposed to be. And I know I've sinned against myself or I've sinned against you and my neighbor. So. Yeah. And so right off the bat, we receive forgiveness. And then, again, this is explicit. I grew up in a tradition where it wasn't explicit. No one could say you are forgiven because they didn't know if I was really sorry enough. Right, right. And so being explicit, like, no, you're coming to Jesus and saying, forgive me. It is the word of God. This is what the priests, the pastors are announcing. This is the work of, of the apostles. Go. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, uh, so this whole section too is part of the preparation so 
you have to think about this. You're coming in. You're coming in under the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reason we have confession and absolution up front is we're being cleansed. Yeah. We're recognizing the only way we can approach God is that is through Christ and that he's forgiven our sins. Otherwise, to approach God, you would die. So now we're approaching God and our sins are being forgiven. We're remembering our baptism where he started this work of forgiveness and and asking for the continuation because we constantly need more and more forgiveness. And how does God deliver his good gifts? This is the two things, the two primary ways in the service is the service of the word, and then we'll follow it with the service of the sacrament. So after being cleansed, we come into, we enter into God's presence as cleansed, Mm -hmm. forgiven, and that's where we we use the, what's called the introit. Yes. Uh, So we have... Which means he enters, right? Yeah, it just means entrance. So we have the introit. So now that we've been uh, forgiven and cleansed, now we are entering in. And so in... Our church, and then you'll see this in other churches depending on the space, uh, the pastor and sometimes like they'll have uh, liturgist. liturgists and acolytes, and they will come from the back of the church and, and walk up to the altar while saying or singing a psalm. And so this is part of the historical liturgy where we're starting off again with the words of God. So we're using God's words that he's given us in his Psalms and, and it's music, it's singing. That's how we enter into God's courts as we sing, as we walk in. The Psalms are songs and Jesus quotes the Psalms, even from the cross, that we are the singing people. And after remembering our baptism, that we've been cleansed and regenerated, we sing the word of God as we enter into the presence of God. Which, for me, that's been a very powerful image, is uh, realizing as Jesus is quoting psalms from the cross, that he's most likely singing these psalms. And they were sung, yeah. Like, this is how he grew up hearing them and learning them, is the psalms were sung. And so as he's dying, he's singing the songs of his God, of our God, to his people, for his people, from the cross. Well, as we uh, record this, we haven't started singing the introit yet. No. We're gonna, but we are We're gonna moving that way because mm-hmm. they have nice little chants that go with them to start putting in our people's minds, the psalms are songs. Yeah. And it's a wonderful way. We're the singing people. We are. So we get in. <clears throat> so we have that. Uh, and then we also have, I want to point out the, the curie. Which is curia eliaison is the Latin. It's almost Latin Greek, well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, just a phrase that means "Lord have mercy." And so we've covered this before in previous episodes. Yeah. But I just want to highlight again: as as you're singing "Lord have mercy," we're recognizing that everything we have is because of God's mercy. It's all a gift to us, and it 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 doesn't just cover forgiveness of sins, like I'm bad, Lord, have mercy on me. It's recognizing, oh, Lord, in your mercy, you give us rain, you give us sunshine, you give us seasons and order and structure and life. And Lord, continue to give us all of the things that we need to live in your mercy, because it is all a mercy. And in this beginning of the service of the word too, there's, again, it continues in a Trinitarian way. Mm -hmm. So we do the glory Gloria Patri, 
which just means glory to the Father. And that's the part when the introit before the, the Kyrie, which is glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. And so throughout our service, entering into the service of the word, it's under the name of God. It's recognizing our God. It's a cry to the king to meet all of our needs. Mm -hmm. So Lord, and not just our needs, but needs for the whole world, peace for the whole world, for all worship, help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Then we have the hymn of praise, which historically has been the Gloria in Excelsis. Uh, this is where we recognize that as we sing, as we worship our God, we are singing with the angels. We're singing with the host of heaven. And so we actually sing an, a song sung by the angels at the birth of Christ, right. uh, which glory in excelsis just means glory on high. Uh, the Lord is present with us. Praise to be to God. He is among his people. And so that is the traditional first hymn. That, that hymn has been sung since, like, the 4th century, yeah. like it's, the 300s. It's great. It started, too, as a Christmas thing, mm -hmm. but then worked its way in to go, oh, yeah, these are the songs of heaven. Yeah, let's just sing them all well, the time. Well, then, uh, you know, something I think is really cool, we, we kind of miss, you move to the salutation. Yes. And, you know, it, it really is referring to, this is the part where it's like, the Lord be with you, and the congregation says, and also with you. Mm -hmm. And it's staying in line with the, uh, the Gloria and Excelsis, which is, this is the angel Gabriel, when he appeared to Mary, he said, the Lord is with you. And it was more than a wish, you know, for these, with these words, Jesus became flesh in Mary's womb. And so when the pastor says, the Lord be with you, we know that Jesus is really coming to us in the scripture readings and the Lord's Supper. Yeah, so it's not just a, a nice saying. It is a statement of fact and reality that the Lord is actually with us Yeah, now. it's like a creative, mm -hmm. I forgot what they call that, when the performative word. word. Yes. So the Lord be with you. That is happening. Mm -hmm. And I, then also with you or with thy spirit, which I thought was really cool too. It recognizes that the pastor has received the Holy Spirit in ordination to empower his work. And so... So you're recognizing, yeah. So when you as the congregants are saying, and also with you to the pastor... You're saying, we recognize that the Lord is with you right now. We're recognizing that your word to us is as if it's Christ's very words. And so I think it, it also, of course, affirms and strengthens a loving relationship between pastor and people. But I think we think that first, I think it's better to think first what you just said. is like you are being used by the Holy Spirit to speak words of life mm -hmm. first and then go, I love you for that, man. Yeah. And then we move into the first prayer yeah. of the day. So it, it's the collect. And the way... And you we can, call it a collect because you're collecting the needs yes. of the world and the people. So you're collecting the needs of the people and you're offering them up in a very uh, pithy, poignant prayer that follows a really cool uh, structure that all, like a lot of the prayers from the Bible follow this structure of you're addressing who you, who are you talking to oh god oh god and then you have the rationale because you are the creator because yes. you are the the savior, savior because you are lord of life right whatever is pertinent so you're you're providing the rationale like why are we coming to you 
oh, because you're the creator of all things? Okay. So then you go into the petition, which is now you're going to ask, because you're the creator of all things, bless us. Yeah. Uh, have mercy on us. Be good to us. Heal us. Because you're the great healer, heal us. Because you're the great comforter, comfort us. Uh, so that's the petition. And then the benefit, which is uh, what we expect to happen when you bless us. So that... Yeah. yeah. So that uh, we can have good lives. So that we can be the humans that you've created us to be. So that your world can be li- uh, life-giving and thriving. Uh, there's a real benefit. And we pull those benefits from God's word And then we end it with the doxology, which is uh, through Jesus Christ, who sits with and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever, recognizing that this all happens because of Christ's work and that all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work for us, for our benefit. So the church has uh, written one of these for every Sunday, for every season, for every cycle. So there's a huge bank available for pastors that go along with each week where you are in the season and what the theme is. So it's really cool. But you can also write your own um, from the Word of God. So the congregation, again, says affirm amen. Amen. So amen is the voice of the people where it's you're in agreement. I believe it. This is most certainly true. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Then we get into the, uh, we could spend a lot of time on each of these. I know. But this is all intro. We get into the readings, and it's very, it's very interesting. Growing up, you know, I, the different churches I went to would read the Bible, but then I noticed a trend somewhere where it would just be the passage that was being preached on was read. Yeah, um, if that, just bits of it, maybe. So when we started going, I don't know how many years ago, we're like, you know what, we should at least read the Word of God. <laughs> I think it was four years ago. Four years ago. It felt awkward at first because it takes so much time. Mm-hmm. You're reading an Old Testament, an epistle, a gospel reading, and, so, and a psalm. Mm-hmm. And that takes a big chunk of time. And, uh, and at first it was like, okay, I know this is awkward. But you know now, I'm like, what, what else are you, what are you doing? Yeah, so this is... Why wouldn't you do that? This is something that God commanded Moses to do and has been carried on from Moses to now and to when he comes back is read the scriptures publicly before the people. Why? Because it's the word of God and we believe that the word of God is active and living and has an effect even if we don't fully explain each reading. Or understand it all the time. It's like the word of God performs what it says, so mm-hmm. read it to them. And even Paul says to Timothy, read, yes. be diligent in reading the word of God publicly. Yes. Like there's a, this is the primary means by which God works is through his word. And he does the work to save. He uses it through his word. So read it. Yeah. Which is just a funny thing because it's really a modern innovation of silent reading. Hmm. Uh, the ancient mind never thought of reading as something you did silently. So whenever anyone read, it was always out loud. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you're reading one of your great stories, I would just want to sit next to you and hear it. Yeah, it's always read out loud. And, uh, and so this is the common theme is read these things to one another. Read them out loud. Even when you're by yourself, read them out loud because the word of God is doing something when you hear it with your ears. And then we have responses, of course, because like for us, we're the people of 
singing. This is the language of heaven. This is a future worship we're engaged in, one that we know a little bit about from Christmas and from Revelation, where we're surrounded with all the saints and with all the angels praising Christ. We sing. And so at the, at the end of reading, there's little songs. You know, this is the word of the Lord, and you can sing, thanks be to God. Or yeah. we just read it at this point, because again, mm-hmm. we're in the process of learning. But uh, you respond to the reading, reading of the word with thanks be to God, thanks be to God. And then as we get to the gospel reading, it's a little more special. Yes. It's where we stand because it's the words of Christ, and Christ is here among us. Yeah, and so the way to think about that, the reason a lot of times it feels like uh, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, and it feels a little like awkward and what what are we doing? But one, we're engaging our bodies uh, with the word of God, but also think of it as if Jesus himself showed up and started talking to you. Right. Why wouldn't you stand up? If someone famous is coming to <laughs> Uh, your church or to your town and is going to give a speech and you stand as they enter. You stand when they give their introduction and you're recognizing this is an honor. I'm here. I'm alert. I'm attentive. I'm listening. I am giving them praise and honor by standing and recognizing they're an authority. So people do it for the president, even when he's on the wrong side. Yeah. To them, you know? yeah. So when you we do st- it for people, you you stand for people in authority, and who has the ultimate authority? Christ. So we stand when we hear his, we're, when we hear his words through the gospel, and then we just say praise be to Christ because we've received a gift. So we do the readings. Yes. Praise be to Christ. Um, at the end of that, and then there's another hymn of the day, uh, which. On, uh, at this point, it's you're allowed to sit. Yes. You're sitting now for the hymn because it's usually uh, theologically heavy. Yes. Like it has a lot of the theology for the day and the idea of the hymns. Luther brought this back to the forefront, like we're the singing people. And you can remember theology th- through yeah. singing, but also it, it's a chance to uh, sit and think about what is being sung. Because when I first started and going to Lutheran churches, I, my biggest, one of my biggest complaints were, you can't sing to this song. Like, where's all the, the pithy praise <laughs> yeah. songs? This is like getting in the way. But then you realize, oh, you know, you don't have to stand and feel something. You're sitting and you're considering and you're hearing the words of, uh, of Scripture that have been thoughtfully compiled. And there's a tune that you, you will learn sooner or later. And, and these are the songs of our people. And so you sit there and think, and you're preparing your heart through music and the word of God to then move into the sermon, right? Yeah, and so usually the hymn of the day, it, it's reinforcing or preparing you for whatever the, the gospel theme, whatever the sermon theme is going to be. Yeah. Uh, it's usually highlighting and preparing you for that. Uh, so then, after that, we then move into the sermon. The most famous part, which is funny in the divine service, it's just... It's a little it, blip. No, it's, it's still important. <laughs> it's important, Luther, but when you look at all the parts, it's like, oh, it's just like this little part among all of these other parts. So yeah, so in the Middle Ages, the sermon was kind of losing prominence or anything. It was lost it already because there's so many different parts, mm-hmm. um, which is completely opposite to now our 
way of thinking, which is the whole thing is like a TED talk. Like yeah. you gather around someone who's a really great speaker and that's going to be 40 minutes and there's 20 minutes of singing and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so, but what Luther does is he brings it back and he says, no, I mean, this is what Jesus set out his disciples to do that you're, you're uh, explaining, you're preaching and teaching the words of God now. Yeah, and the way, too, I think about the sermon is it's taking whatever scripture text, whatever, whatever gospel reading you're using, and it's applying it to your hearers. How does this affect and change and inform our lives right now? And so that's what's so great about preaching is it's, it's bringing you into the story of God. And then it's bringing you, it is the bridge to the Lord's Supper. The sermon is applying and explaining and teaching the scriptures, leading you to table fellowship with God and with yeah. Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, so it works that way. And it's, so you're interpreting the word of God. And of course, as Lutherans, we have distinctions. So when we approach the word of God, we have a distinct, we have ways of looking at it that help give us clear distinctions. So uh, we've talked about this before, like we approach it as law and gospel. And mm-hmm. those two distinctions are very helpful because the law exposes our sin and then the gospel following it delivers the Savior yeah. and teaches the ways of God. So uh, within the sermon, we're moving people from law, the reality of law, to gospel. We're presenting Jesus Christ. And actually, we're continuing the ministry, the teaching ministry of Christ. So yes. that's why we're robed. That's why we're called and ordained. We're taking it seriously. But as I get up there, my mind now is I'm speaking as an emissary. I'm speaking the words of Christ to the people. Here's what the king says. Yes. Here's what you need to know today. And it's moving us to eating with him. Mm-hmm. So that's a different way of uh, <clears throat> preaching. Again, preaching for I don't know how many years. For many years, I, it wasn't that. It was me trying to move people to change behaviors. Yeah. And so again, the freedom is Christ changes hearts. Christ does the work. We do the announcing. And uh, praise God. Yeah. He does. He works through it. So then, at the end of the sermon, we have this creed portion, where I, it was a mixed bag for me. Some of the churches I grew up in was adamantly against creeds, and yeah. the other ones were like, "Yeah, we, we do them. We believe them." Um, and creed just means I believe, and what it has been is it's statements of the church saying, this is how we read scripture, this is who we, from scripture, believe our God is, and so what it is, is it's taking God's words said to us and echoing them back. Yeah, and it serves a, a couple different purposes. I mean, the most basic, though, is we make a faithful confession of Christ. Mm-hmm. We confess him, he confesses us. Yeah. Like, I know who you are. So like our responses, and that's taken from like Romans 10, 1 Corinthians, where, you know, um, where basically we're saying Jesus is Lord. Yes. And then Jesus will then confess us before his father. And then it's used to correct the heresies. So the Nicene Creed is one that has stuck to fight against the, uh, the heresies of the Arian heresy, which is basically messing with the divinity of Christ. Yeah, basically trying to say that Jesus is not equal to the Father. Right. But and that's all, that's another day. But, but we but, we have a chance to confess. Yeah, so that we've heard all of these great things, we've received all these great things, and now it's our time to say, 
what do we, how do we receive them? Oh, we believe them. Yeah. We believe our God is the God who's created everything, the God who has saved us, and the God who's sanctifying and cleansing us. And there's freedom on where you do the creeds. You can do them bef- after the reading of the word, or it just depends on yeah. Western, Eastern <clears throat> rites and whatever. But, but it's a great practice, and I've known for myself, it has anchored me. It's helped to anchor what do I believe so that when people go out into the world, it's like, well, what exactly do you believe? If you, don't, if you know nothing else but the Apostles' Creed, you at least have an answer. Yes, yes. Uh, I believe just... in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven. Check, all right. Yeah. I believe in Jesus Christ. I, and again, it's tri- they're always Trinitarian. Yes. Father, I, Son, and Holy Spirit, the work of the church. I do love the, the fun little history of the Apostles' Creed. It was when the church was being persecuted and... They had to be secretive because they were being like... It's the code word. Yeah. They were, they were being hunted and killed and imprisoned. And they basically, if someone wanted to get into the service, which was like usually someone's house, you'd knock on the door and you'd have to recite the Lord, the Apostles' Creed right. to be able to get in. Well, we should start a speakeasy like which, that. I love that. I, I think that's such a fun historical uh, tradition of using God's word as a like, I'm with you. I yeah. actually believe these things. I know it. And, uh, and you Who's know, there? I believe in God, the father almighty, Come we're on together. In. We're with people yeah. who confess and believe the same thing that we do. You're tempting me to go down another path. Okay. We got to so keep going. Prayer. So now we enter into the prayers of the church and the prayer of the church, while it is partly us again, recognizing the individual needs of the congregants, it's also taking in a much bigger scope. It's, we're the church of God, we're the house of forgiveness, and we are praying on behalf of the world. Right. And we recognize that our God is the creator of the world, and he's Lord of the world, and he cares about the world. So in the prayer of the church, it's, it can get pretty long, but it's because we're covering all of these aspects that God tells us to care about. Yeah, like governments, mm-hmm. and the persecuted church, and the people who've wandered away from Christ. Yes. And- and, you know, each, the local government, it's, I, I found it to be tremendously helpful in mm-hmm. reorienting. And then you start there out in the world because we are a blessing to the world because we carry Christ. And then we move into all the, uh, the band camp requests and from yeah. our kids who are so sweet and trusting the Lord and, and the requests for the sickness within our own community. We, the Lord hears us, which is the amazing part of the prayer yeah. is that we have a God who hears us and cares. And so we offer big, huge, massive requests right along with, Lord, help my shoulder. Yes, I love that. I think that's so great. Uh, then follows the uh, offering, which we then offer up our recognizing that everything we have, again, is a gift. And so this is where we actually get to act that out and say, Lord, you have given us everything we're going to give you, you've given us 100%, we're going to give you 10% right. back. And, and so, we, again, it's another place for thanksgiving. And the songs that accompany it are from Scripture, giving thanks. Um, yeah, it's just putting it money. It used to be food. You know, it used yeah. to be like a food, you take care of the pastor, and he takes care of the, poor, the people who can't afford food, and then it's turned into money. So we give tithes and offerings yeah and then during this time too you have the pax domini which is the peace of the lord yeah. where we then get to announce the peace of god to one another recognizing that we are unified to one another 
as we are getting ready to prepare for the meal that we're about to have and saying, the peace of the Lord is with you. We're announcing that reality and recognizing the peace of God dwells in our midst. And it's mixed in there after offering, because, you know, don't bring your offering if you have something against your brother. Yeah. And I like the function of this for two reasons. One, it puts the gospel in your mouth. This is what Jesus said as he comes in to the scared disciples after his death. Yes. And, uh, and you know, his death, resurrection, he's not ascended to the Father yet, but he shows up and over and over again, he goes, peace be with you. I bring peace to you. But also it's a unifying thing. Like, uh, And probably one of the more devastating things that happens in church is if you're taking the Lord's Supper and being unified, but you have something against the person in the pew or the person next to you. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to make it right and go, hey, peace to you. Yeah. And again, it can be, it's an explicit action that uh, feelings can follow afterwards. Yeah. Uh, or at least it confronts you with, you know what? I'm not going to be mad at you so much, Matt, for how you you forced <laughs> me to do this podcast right, <laughs> right now when all I want to do is eat. <laughs> Peace uh, be with you, brother. And also with you. And then we have this interchange between the pastor and the congregants called the preface. Well, now we're going into the, the service Lord, of the, the sacrament, sacrament, which yeah. the two mountains, the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. These are God's gifts. Mm-hmm. And this is a big one because this is uh, where he now is going to feed us and give us and provide for us table fellowship where he's saying, here's what it is. It's my body. And here's what it does for the forgiveness of sins. And we actually feel it, touch it, taste it. Uh, receive it. But it starts off then with the Lord be with you. And this is called the preface. Yeah. So we have again this, the, it's, it starts off like the salutation, the Lord be with you and also with you, where again we are stating the reality. Christ is present. His body and blood are up here on the altar. He's present with us. And, and as the minister, we are standing there and presiding in Christ's place. Then we have Lift up your hearts. Which I like, which is really a, you know, it sounds like an encouragement. Lift up your hearts. Be cheerful. But really, it's a reminder to look beyond plain bread and wine to find the sacrament's meaning. Yeah, so now you're perceiving with the eyes of faith what's on the altar. Because to us, through the eyes of reason, it looks like bread and wine. But with the eyes of faith, with our hearts, we see, no, that is my Lord and Savior sacrificed on the altar for us and he's giving us his body and his blood so that's that section and then of course ends with let us give thanks to the lord it is right thanksgiving which is meat which is the eucharist which is what eucharist means i mean the whole meal is a thanksgiving meal a thanksgiving meal fellowship with the god of the universe who's come to us through his son's sacrificial love and now he's saying come and sit with me and eat and eat the eat the sacrifice of christ you are forgiven. Um, yeah, so then there's usually like uh, then a proper preface where we, the, we, the pastors, uh, pray and do what Christ did, which is he, he prayed over the meal. He gave thanksgiving to God over the meal. And uh, so that's just us doing that for you, saying and acting as Christ, saying, Lord, thank you for your gifts. Thank you. You didn't have to do this for us. So... I think this this is what's important and different for you and me as pastors. But it's Christ acting through the pastor. So we're up there in the white robes of Mm -hmm. Christ, ordained with the stole, the chasuble, the wedding 
garment. And so when you see us up before the altar, we're representing, you were priests. Yes. But we're representing Christ and his work on your behalf. And we're representing you to, to Christ. And so there is something that, that your imagination and your mind can connect to while we're doing this, that, that Christ is our intercessory. That, and now we are speaking the words of Christ full of the Holy Spirit so that that's what we're trying to make explicit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really helpful for me wearing that stuff going, this is real. Yes. And not getting uh, into that in-between place where like, well, it's real if they believe it and I believe it, but, you know, I'll be cool here or that, you know, I don't know. Like, it's so helpful to go, no, I am doing something real. Christ is here. I'm representing Christ. Christ is acting through me right now to minister his gifts. Yeah. And the even better news about that is it's happening and it's real. Christ is really with us. Even if Adam and I don't believe it, <laughs> that's how powerful God's word is to His people. Right. Is even if we're we're faithless ministers, as long as we're saying and announcing the words of God and giving the gifts, it's effective. It's effective, no matter how much Adam and I believe it. Your faith is not dependent upon our faith. Right. It's dependent upon Christ, and that's who we're representing in that moment. And then. Uh, after we pray for the meal, then as the church, we pray the Lord's Prayer as the people of God. Well, this is where heaven, well, before that, this is where heaven and earth touch. Mm. God breaks through and connects us to his worship right now with all the archangels, angels, saints. Yes. And so that's what's happening at the Lord's Supper. And so then a lot of times you'll read the uh, part of the preface is therefore with angels and archangels, with all company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, and we do the sanctus, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. And that's a song, a little song. That the angels sang. That the angels sang. Again, it's connecting us to what the reality of heavenly worship is, and we get that now. Yes. Uh, then moving from the sanctus, then the Lord's Prayer, we finally get to the words of our Lord and these can also be called the words of institution. And the words of our Lord, they anchor us. So this is where we say, uh, so, uh, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. It's, it's actually repeating uh, what Christ did on the first supper. And then it's saying his words exactly. Like, take, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. And he says again, you know, then he does the, uh, the cup. Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's important you're setting apart, you're consecrating with the words of Christ. This is not a tradition we invented. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's these words that set it apart. If you just leave the Lord's Supper in the back of the room, Right. And there's no word on it. It is just, it is just wine bread and bread. Wine. Yes. But with the word of God, it now becomes also body and blood. And so what the words of our Lord are doing is it's anchoring us to the Lord's Supper in history, mm-hmm. reminding us that Christ has really done this in the past and continues to do it through his ministers. It's proclaiming what Christ did on the cross for you, which his body was broken, his... His blood was shed for you for forgiveness, and now it's being given to you. 
and then it's consecrating and saying, this really is the body and blood of Christ because God's word is on yeah. it. Um, and we make these signs, the sign of the cross over them. Again, you know, it's not magical gestures, but they aid our faith by pointing out precisely what is being consecrated for us. We mm-hmm. hold the bread, we hold the wine, and we, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, we do the, the sign over them. They're consecrated, they're different, and then they're administered for you. You receive these things. It's yeah. not something you just go on your own and do. Right. It's being given to you. So uh, the reason the pastors then give the Lord's Supper to you is because it's a gift. Right. It's not something you're coming up and taking for yourself. It's something that's being gifted to you. So historically, this was done in very specific ways that as modern people we've backed away from. Um, but I think there are good practices that are worth considering and worth kind of thinking about bringing back. So um, one of the ways is to receive the bread was uh, the pastor places it directly into your hands or directly into your mouth, which is, again, there's like an ick factor for us. But the idea is this is such a gift that you're not even handling it. It's just being placed right into your mouth. And there was a time in history where people would take it for a a good luck charm. Yeah, and misuse it. Misuse it. But no, this is being purely given to you. Uh, So uh, some places, some historical Lutheran churches and uh, Catholic and Anglican churches you'll see uh, the priests or the pastors placing it into people's mouths. Um, and again, it's just, this is a gift. Uh, the other way that we've um, walk, kind of steered away from is the, how we receive the wine uh, in the past. And really, this changed in the 60s. Uh, was through a single chalice, a silver chalice, and everyone would drink from the same cup. And again, it's this idea of we are all unified, we're all receiving the same wine, we're receiving the same blood, and it's being given to us. Uh, Again, we got weird with germs, but honestly, there's no uh, real evidence that using a common cup was actually doing any harm to a congregation. Uh, Oftentimes, the chalice is silver, which Mm -hmm. doesn't uh, hold any germs, and then the alcohol... Uh, kills most of them anyway so it it's just an interesting thing that we got away from but it's a very powerful gesture usually when it's offered at a church i go for it because it's just i'm with you i'm unified to you we're all receiving the same thing i agree i agree and so uh well we don't have to talk about this now as we distribute it you know we've learned that the pastor self communes yes because he is uh, officiating, mm-hmm. he's in the place of Christ. Yeah, so whoever's preaching that day, you'll see just, they'll, it's called auto-communing, and you'll see Adam or I, whoever's preaching, just do it for himself, uh, and, then, and then whoever is not preaching then receives it from the pastor. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we have what's called the post-communion collect, and we skipped over the some of the great songs. That's okay. That's okay. We don't have much time. But um, Agnes Day and the Nunc Dimittis. Yeah, there's all these great songs that highlight what we've done and are receiving in uh, the Lord's Supper. But then you have the post-communion collect, which is another prayer where we're collecting uh, the needs of our people, but we're saying, and you listen to it or read it, 
And it's the Lord's Supper strengthens your faith. Yeah. This is one of the great gifts. This is why we do it every week is because our faith is fragile and it needs to be nourished and strengthened and you need a physical and spiritual thing to hang on to. And so this is the great gifts of our God is he uses physical, tangible means, pairs them with his word, and then places them into our mouth and says, this is real. Everything is outside of ourselves. This is his grace. Because if left within us to interpret and to understand and to try to connect to, we're lost. We're going to make a mess of it every time. And he knows how fragile our faith. Faith is a gift. It's not something we conjured up. It's a gift of God, and he's doing everything explicitly to protect it, mm-hmm. to anchor it outside of yourself. And so these things are certainly true. Amen, right? Amen. And, uh, and then he speaks... Were you in the benediction yet? Yeah, now we get into the, the final words of the service, the benediction. And I didn't know that Luther kind of brought this back. Mm-hmm. It's the only benediction in the Bible that's commanded by God is from uh, Numbers 6, 24 through 26, the Aaronic benediction. This is the, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Uh, and when you're doing this, the, the image that's super helpful for me is it's the face of God looking on you that's an ancient idea of the king. When you enter into a king's throne room, if he lifts his face to you, you have his favor. You can come in peace. You can go in peace. And so this is what's happening is what's being announced to you is God is looking up at you. You've entered into his throne room. He's looking at you and he's giving you his favor. He's saying, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Depart in peace. Wow. So, you know, at the end of this, this has been a long one. It's just as comical to me. We've all kind of come from a place where we thought, oh, you can, you can worship God wherever. And but, however. And however you want, which we know is, is not true. But just what we've gone through today, does that happen on a fishing boat? The explicit word of God, the songs of God, the creeds of God, the things of God, the sacrament. I mean, think about what we've just gone through. And, you know, you might go and, and say, God, thanks for this beautiful place. And, yeah. oh, yeah, I think I worshiped on my own. No. You, no one spoke to you these things. No one read to you these things. No one ministered to you. And so that's where it comes down to is the reality of gathering. Jesus, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are calling people to gather around him to receive his gifts. And when we act like we can just open the fridge and take gifts whenever we want, right. we're actually missing out. We're missing out. We're robbing from God. We're taking what is not ours to take. And illegitimately. <clears throat> yeah. And trying to say, it's all on my own. I can do this by myself. Which is why when you do that after a while, you feel empty inside. You mm-hmm. don't know what's real. And predictably, you're like, well, I don't, even, I don't think Jesus is real. I don't think God. Is. You know, you get to this weird place because no one, there's nothing outside of you being given to you. Yeah. But the human condition is like, I'll find it in myself. I'll be the judge of good and evil. Thank you, Adam and Eve, for your sin. And so what I'm seeing in the divine service is where assumptions are made explicit. I need that more and more. I need a guy dressed in the white robes. I need to <laughs> touch the water of baptism. I need to eat, touch, hold the body and blood of Christ. I need to keep hearing people yeah. say, hey, peace be with you. Lift up your hearts. Here's who God is. Here's his word. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus. Like, I need that. Yes. Uh, so one final story to emphasize how this was such a, 
a no-brainer for the ancient church <laughs> that you need someone else to administer the things of God to you. St. Augustine tells a story of these uh, two, two Christians. One was an old Christian, and the other was a, a catechumenate. He was a Christian in training. He hadn't been baptized yet. They were both on a ship that was sinking. And the, the old Christian had committed a grievous sin, and he needed to have confession and absolution. And so what he does is he then baptizes the catechumenate as the boat's going down, baptizes him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So then the catechumenate, as a new baptized Christian, can announce the absolution of sins <laughs> over him. Because he's not going to just forgive himself. He's going to, he needs to hear it from it's, another Christian. You are forgiven. Christ died for you. Yeah. Like, that's how real this stuff was for them. And for us in our modern minds, we've dismissed all of that and said, I can find God within myself. Or we just go, I say to that guy, it's okay, man, you're a good person. You're a good person. You know what? That's not going to hold up. That's not going to hold up. That's not going to help me sleep one night. Yeah. He said I'm a good guy. Someone said that (laughs) once when, like, Lowry was in the hospital as a baby and someone heard the story and they go, you know what? I have a good feeling. I think he's going to make it through the surgery. You know what that did for me? Nothing. I was like, it was like at a right. barber shop, and I was like, that does nothing for me. Actually, that makes me angry. What do you know about this situation? What are you telling me? It's gonna be all right. No thanks. I don't. I need something more concrete than that, and I need something explicit from outside of me with authority. Yes, that's saying Christ forgives you. Yeah. Christ is saving you. Now that I can rest in. Christ will give you eternal life. Oh. Amen. Amen. It is certainly true. I believe it. Well. Thanks for listening. It's a long one, and there's way more to say. We admit <laughs> we've not done great. <laughs> but uh, you're the people uh, who are forgiving and loving, so we got that in our back pocket. Awesome. But it's a great start. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.